Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. Still ahead. Oh, it's going to be fun. In a few minutes here, we'll catch up with uh, Rod Proudfoot. We're going to do some Rexall Place memories in this hour. Back when it was Northland's Coliseum in, I think, I think it was June of 2000, and, or pardon me, June of 1986. Willie DeWitt against Ken Lacusta for the Canadian heavyweight title. Rod was uh, Willie's manager, and he promoted that fight. He will check in tonight. Mark Lewis in studio, longtime Oilers public address announcer as well, with some of his memories, of course, uh, final season for Rexall, final season for him calling the goals and the assists and the penalties and all that other fun stuff you hear over the speaker. It'll be great to have Mark around. Some text to 630-630. Darcy says, hey, Reed, Taylor Hall has improved in almost every defensive aspect. I think that's a good point. You see Taylor Hall getting down low and helping out the defenseman and clearing pucks a lot more than he used to as a younger player. Christian says, Hall is having his best season yet and not because of points. It's the way he's playing. He can be aggressive. He doesn't take a face wash anymore without giving one back. When he's tired, he dumps it in instead of trying to do a little too much. And I think he is also much better in his defensive zone and his effort level looks great. And off the ice, he seems way more mature in interviews. If McDavid isn't wearing the C next year, Hall definitely will be. That is from Christian. And another texter says... Ryan Nugent Hopkins has, wor- has worked to improve his game immensely. Best two-way player the Oilers have. Plays the entire ice. I'm a big fan, obviously. All right. Well, so if the best players are getting better, and some of you clearly think that they are, I- I- my question remains, how come they haven't won more games? Are, are they just that weak on defense? Are the depth players not good enough um do the best players still need to improve a little bit more and round out their game because i got to be realistic about this they they, they're still the second worst team in the league and actually if you go by points percentage they're they're 30th in the league now there's no guarantee that obviously toronto is going to win its game games in hand um but there's still a reality of where the Oilers are at despite what i think is improved coaching and improved goaltending I mean, Camp Talbot's having the best season they had since Dubnik in the lockout-shortened season. And uh, I know a bad goal last night, but the, the team remains often a goal or two short. I mean, it's not, I, I know it's not the same. The losses aren't the same as last season where they were out of it in the first period and catching up all the time. But there, there are still losses, and there are still reasons that they are happening, and, and they are, there are still uh, pretty serious shortcomings. 
And, I mean, somebody asked me the, the record. With, I mean, here's the thing with the injured guys, especially with Nugent Hopkins and McDavid. It's all around the same points percentage with or without those guys. So would have they been better with McDavid? Well, sure, it would have been great to watch him and that he had all those games. But I just I don't think they'd be way better if McDavid had played the whole season. I think that's just just a reality. Tony's on the line. Hey, Tony. Hi, Reed. Hey. Hey, I'll make this real quick. Uh, this is just about the core group. It's got nothing to do with McDavid and a couple of defensemen. But uh, basically, their mental state or their set is a little different now because they can't hold the team and the fans hostage anymore. Now they realize there's a payback, and I guess it's coming up. Sorry, say that again? Uh, before, they were holding the team and the fans hostage. You know, just the core group. Uh, forget about improvement, this, that, whatever. They were going nowhere. They're always flat. But now they have to do something, produce themselves, or they're basically writing their own destiny. I think that's the only change I see. Maybe they're picking up the pace a bit more, amping it up just a touch. Okay, so you're saying some of the bigger changes within the organization perhaps has motivated the players to realize, like, okay, the ship's going in the right direction, and I got a choice whether I want to be on it or not. Right. If they want to paddle off in their own direction, now they can for sure. Well, because, well, like we've talked about before, Shirelli doesn't have any loyalty to these guys. He has, he, I know, he that's why I love them. it. Yeah. The entitlement, read, the entitlement days are over. Well, it's Shirelli and McClellan running the show, so I know what you're saying. Tony, thanks for calling, buddy. Yep. Okay, 780-496-0063. Kellen, or, uh, Kellen, sorry, Matthew, can we give away the Beer Fest tickets now? Sure, let's go ahead. We're giving away a pair of tickets to the Edmonton International Beer Fest, Shaw Conference Center, April 1st and 2nd. You'll also qualify for a Saturday Beer God Pass, which includes front-of-the-line access, early entrance, private seating area, and more. The trivia question will be, which oiler leads the team in fighting majors this season? Which oiler leads the team in fighting majors this season? It's 8-13. We'll talk about a big fight at Rexall Place with Rod Proudfoot when we get back. Hey, this is Jordan Everly from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. There we go. A few people are getting this reference as we have given away Beer Fest tickets to Colin, who knew that Matt Hendricks leads the Oilers in fighting majors this season. He has eight, Griba five, Gazdick four, Nurse three, Cassian two, Kara one, Maroon with one. Maroon's wasn't with us, though. He hasn't fought as an Oiler, has he? I think that was still with the Ducks. Uh, that was uh, Beautiful Girls by Van Halen back around 1990-ish. It was used as the song in a Saturday Night Live commercial, one of their fake commercials, for Schmitz Gay, a, a new brand of beer. I do not think they will be having Schmitz Gay at International Beer Fest. Still one of the Saturday Night Live's best commercials. All right, speaking of fighting, some Rexall Place memories here coming up over the next few minutes on the show. Remember Willie DeWitt? Remember Ken LaCousta? Well, Rod Proudfoot sure does. Rod, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Doing great, Reed. Thank you. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Really great to catch up with you. I haven't uh, haven't talked to you since uh, since you moved on from FC Edmonton. So uh, I, I hope life is good and you're you're generally staying out of trouble. <laughs> I am, unfortunately. 
<laughs> we'll 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 work on that. Um, we're we're counting down towards the final hockey game at, at Rexall Place or Sky Reach Center or Northlands Coliseum. But there were were a lot of other great sporting events and interesting sporting events that took place there. And I, I wanted to talk to you because one guy who you were uh, no you Will, Willie Dewitt to, to get it out there for people. Yes. You were his you were his manager. What was your role in his life? Well, officially, I was his business manager, but I also promoted uh, all of his fights uh, here in Canada. So uh, it was a it was a good working relationship we had. Willie was you know, he had a, people working on his boxing side. I'm not a boxer, but uh, the business side is what I got involved in. Okay. Now, were you involved with him right out of him coming out of the Olympics? I think he got a silver medal in uh, L. That is correct. Yeah. That, okay. That, that is correct. We actually started marketing Willie uh, about a year a year and a half prior to Los Angeles. So '82, late '82, he just won the uh, Commonwealth Championship down in Australia. Three three fights, three knockouts, all first rounders. And you know, you know, go uh, gong bang fights over gong fight, you know, over, and then then they then they play the anthem. It was a uh, he was destructive in Australia, and that's when he came to our attention, and and we started to market him and got him a book deal and a deal with the milk producers of Alberta and a few other things, so he could get some training funds going into the Olympics. Okay, so th- this is interesting because I mean I remember I was. Uh... I mean, like what in 80, 84, I was ten, eighty five, I was eleven, and yep. I, he was. I mean, before we get into the the big event he had at Northlands, I mean, he, I remember him sort of captivating, especially Albertans. Like here is here is our guy that's got a shot to really be something in a in a sport that I mean, it was it's hard to name a lot of Canadians who have been great boxers, especially at that time. I mean, there had been some, but they they weren't everywhere. The thing about you're right. You're absolutely right, Reed. The thing about and you were young at the time, but he, he became Alberta's uh, prodigy almost. Uh, uh, there were people, lots, lots of people would argue whether he was worthy of being a heavyweight champion. Or, but he was a great young guy. He uh, he had good moral principles. He had integrity. Um, you know, he, he was he was uh, like the all Canadian boy. You know, he was, the, he was the kind of guy that your daughter could bring home and meet the parents, and it was okay. He uh, he had a lot going for him, and I think a lot of people in Alberta, from Grand Prairie. Uh, identified with him as ours or mine, and I, I remember the fight he did lose. He only lost one in his whole per- career. He was twenty-one and one as a pro uh, when he lost to Bert Cooper in Regina. It was like almost like someone in your family had died. It, 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 people were. It was a, almost a sociological phenomenon what happened on his one loss. So people adapted it, particularly in Alberta, as their own. Well, yeah, that's that's a great way to to, to summarize it because I I remember that 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 feeling and that leads us to what I want to talk about in terms of the Rexall Place angle. It was Northlands Coliseum at the time. Uh, this was June of 1986. He he went after the Canadian heavyweight title against Lacusta. That was the one. That's correct. June 13th or 14th. I forget which, but that was at 86. And it was funny. We were uh, we were promoting Willie uh, Dewitt. Uh, I was promoting because I was the guy doing it. And uh, across Canada, we had I think we had eight fights in Canada. And that one year, including the one in Northlands, which was the pinnacle of of his career, uh, we actually outdrew Mike Tyson, who fought about ten or eleven times in the states. We were getting bigger crowds in Canada with Willie. All pivoted around this one championship fight with Kenny Lacusta. But it was quite a year. '86 was a fabulous year. So, what do you remember about the lead up? I mean, well, first of all, let me ask: Is was it was it difficult to get it into Northlands Coliseum? Were maybe people skeptical if if you could fill the bu- the building? What was that lead in like? Well, no one ever thought we'd fill the building. I knew we'd get a good crowd. 
but at that time, Ken Kuchner was the champion. He had won earlier. I forget against whom, doesn't matter. Uh, he was the Canadian champion, and Willie was still building his career up. And uh, I think he was, uh, oh, it was like 12-0-1, I think, at the time. Um, and, and so Willie was a challenger. And um, a fellow named Gary Stevenson, who's a fellow, he's, I think, still working on Edmonton, uh, he was the man, he was the uh, promoter for Ken Lacouste, and Ken was a great showman. I, you know, I never knew Ken Lacouste much until we actually set up the fight, and I really got a lot of respect for him once I met him. It was uh, we were the we were the contender, we were the uh, challenger, but we ran the fight because uh, everyone really fought. He filled, so and they were smart enough to see that, and and we worked a really good arrangement together, where uh, Ken could uh, he probably made more money in that fight than he made in his previous twenty fights, and it was a. Oh, such a night read. It was one of the highlights of uh, certainly of my career. Rod Proudfoot joining us on Inside Sports, talking about the Canadian heavyweight title bout in June of 1986, Willie DeWitt against Ken Lacusta. So once the once you're there and it, you got the atmosphere and and the fans and it's a it's about to start. I mean, did you think? Holy crap! I can't believe we're pulling this off. Or were you just so excited? What was it like? <laughs> it, it was exciting. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've I've run fights prior to that, and we'd fill the Agricom, we'd fill the Agridome in Regina, we'd fill the Calgary Corral, and all of a sudden we've got well, I think the official attendance and my major memory read, I think it was fifteen thousand seven hundred and sixty-one, which, which at that time, and I think it still stands, was the largest ever live Canadian heavyweight championship fight. There had been bigger fights, I think Chevallo against Ali down in Montreal, but that was not for a Canadian championship, it was for a world championship. But no one has ever matched that number again. It's, look at this, we got Ken Lacusta, local Levinson boy, and Willie DeWitt, local Grand Prairie boy, fighting in front of a crowd, and, and everyone, it, it was very severely uh, decided, you're either this guy or you're this guy, you weren't both. And uh, uh, the place was packed, and we had uh, TSN. Now, TSN back then was a, was a fledgling uh, network, and we... Um, we we had them obviously televising across Canada and, or, and wherever else they picked it up. Um, they they've never had ratings. Sean O'Sullivan was around at the time in Toronto, but they never had ratings like that one fight. And it was electric. Read it went ten rounds. Willie won in a, in a unanimous decision. But Kenny fought a heck of a fight. Gee, and I tell you what, the crowd was so appreciative. And so was Kenny. He got a new appreciation. Uh, sorry, uh, Willie. He got a new appreciation for Ken Lacusta and, and just how tough he fought. And the two of them I, I didn't become fast friends, but they had a great respect for each other coming out of the match. There was a rematch later that I think Willie won in the fifth round with a shot to the, the liver that kind of put Kenny down a little bit. But but it was a tremendous, tremendous uh, evening. As I said, it set a Canadian record that I think still stands. And it was in the Coliseum, and it wasn't hard to set up. Northlands was very open to it because they could see this happening. Everyone was talking about it. We just we just filled in the pieces. So you you mentioned the the the, the crowd. Was it pretty def- divided? Was it more pro Willie? Because because I, I can remember as a kid wanting Willie to win. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I think I think there was probably more people for Willie. Ken on his own didn't draw that many people. Okay. Um, Willie did, but I think the two of them together were magic and, and in a good way. And uh, uh, I think the pre- I'm biased because I was Willie's promoter, but but as a as, as a promoter of this one, you had to be fairly neutral. And uh, and I was the one who kind of handled all the purse strings and worked with all the media and it, it, even the media conference. I mean, uh, we had people come in from out of town uh, uh, to watch this fight. Uh, people in the boxing business they said, "You get more to the media conference than we see in Vegas." I mean, it was like we had 150 people at the media conferences, so. Uh, I think it was pro Willie crowd, but they got a really good fight night that night. And there was a pretty good undercard. We always stayed with 
with local fighters. We had Jimmy Chung, and I think we had Dale Walters from uh, Vancouver on the card. And it was it was really a good fight night, and it was nice and tight. It ran well. The the TV people were happy. It was a it was a very successful event in the. Uh, it was called the Edmonton Coliseum back in those days. I mean, how much boxing was there in in, in the Coliseum? I mean, I'm I'm struggling. I mean, I guess uh, was it Ruddock and Tyson that were going to fight here until Tyson whatever happened? I mean, was there ever any any other bout of significance in our rink? Um, I think in the old days. I mean, boxing was really strong in Edmonton in the '50s and into the '60s, and that was in the old Edmonton. Um, okay. Uh, you know the, where the Flyers played. Uh, the I should Gardens. know the Edmonton Gardens. Yeah. I guess it was called. Uh, and, and, and there were some really good boxers come out of Edmonton. John Short would know all of those answers because right. he was around and covered it closely. But he was, and he was really close to this. I mean, he was the one calling for the fight. And when it happened, uh, he was thrilled. It was one of, I think, himself, Ron Hader, was the commissioner at the time. And, and uh, the boxing commission was pretty solid in, in Edmonton. They ran a good bout. But none, I think, well, none, none certainly of that magnitude, Reed. But it was, it was... It was the, uh, you know, back in the 80s, you remember those times when you were young. I was a little older, obviously, but the, Eskimo, the Eskimos were winning great cups. The Oilers were as good as you can be in the world. And then you throw this title fight. Edmonton was the place to be in the 80s, and the Coliseum was where they all met. Uh, Commonwealth Stadium had just been built, so it was pretty impressive. Edmonton had it all back then. Well said, Rod. Thanks for sharing the story of that night. That, that was a special one. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. You know what I also find interesting? Uh, I, I know Kenny's still stuck around Edmonton. Uh, Willie's living in Calgary now. He's gone on to be a very, very successful criminal lawyer in Calgary and is on the line, in line now to be a judge here in Alberta. So there's one of the great cases who came through as a, as a very tough sport, obviously kept his senses intact, and went on to be something very successful. So I'm really pleased for the young man. I've got a lot of he and I are good friends, and we spend a lot of time together. We talk often about the path he took to get there. Those lessons learned in the ring, he applied in business and became very successful. You're listening to 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. The Toronto Raptors have clinched a playoff spot despite losing 91-79 to the Boston Celtics. They are guaranteed a spot in the postseason for the third straight year because the Knicks beat the Bulls 115-107. Tampa Bay Lightning forward Jonathan Drouin being disciplined in the minors once again, this time for missing a pre-practice team meeting. He's going to be suspended for one game by the Syracuse Crunch. The New York Islanders beat the Ottawa Senators 3-1. The other game, seven minutes left. The Rangers leading the Bruins 4-2. The Oil Kings at Brandon tomorrow. Game one of their best-of-seven first-round series. Blue Jays shortstop Troy Tulowitzki day-to-day with bruised knuckles after being hit by a pitch in today's spring training 3-1 win against the Mets. And uh, A-Rod going to retire after next season. Getting a jump on the announcement. Good for him. This is Inside Sports on 6.30. Chet, in two weeks, the Edmonton Oilers will play their final game at Rexall Place. And our in-studio guest has seen hundreds of those home games over the years. It is Oilers PA announcer Mark Lewis. Mark, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Thank you, Reed. It's a pleasure to be sitting across from you. Well, thanks for making time to come in. It's, it's uh, For people who don't know... Mark and I see each other every home game, rarely, if ever, have time to do more than nod at each other, if that, especially if you're busy talking. And say hello. 
That's about it. Yeah, that's about it. Uh, your station. Now, where are you? You are up to the Oilers goaltenders left. Correct. I am in the northwest corner of the building. So if you look up, uh, you would want to. You'll be seeing the banners on the west end of the building, and and uh, I sit to the right of the rightermost, rightmost, uh, the last banner on the right. There we go. I'm always the newest that. banner. I Correct. think. Yep. Right. Yep. <laughs> That was the 06 season banner. Right, right. Uh, so what was this? Uh, you started in 81 doing the PA? Started in 1981. I worked for a, a radio station in Edmonton that uh, was the voice of the orders at the time. Rod Phillips uh, was the play-by-play guy. And I had heard that, that someone working in the public address department uh, was leaving. So I had called Bill Twilley. And said, hey, Bill, Mark Lewis, uh, I'd like to get the job as, as the number two guy. And uh, he said, come on over and we'll, we'll talk. And he said, we've got the 81 Canada Cup coming up and we'd like you to do the public address announcing for that. But you've got to be able to pronounce then the Soviet names and the Czechoslovakian names. And I said, Bill, I'm your guy. Very familiar with all of those languages. Of course I wasn't. Uh, but you've got to get in the door, and then it's up to you to stay inside the door. And I had figured the best way to uh, to cover my tracks on that was um, get in the door and then find out what you have to do to survive. And and the, the thing that I do even to this day, if I see a name, I don't know. And the owners have hired me and have maintained a seat for me at Rexall Place for 35 years, uh, they want me to pronounce the names correctly. So when uh, when a team comes in that has a player or two or three that you've never seen before, uh, most of the names you, you've never seen before are, are European or perhaps from Russia. Um, you ask the visiting media. In this case, I go to the Sportsnet uh, duo of Drew Remenda and uh, Kevin and uh, just... Just ask, how do they pronounce it? I'll go to Jack Michaels uh, on the Chad broadcast team. Jack is, I mean, Jack's a great broadcaster, and he's very knowledgeable. And 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 Bob Stoffer, they know how to pronounce these names, so if, there's no excuse if you mispronounce a name. And then you just review the script uh, each night uh, to make sure there, there are no surprises. But getting back to the 81 Canada Cup, I can recall sitting in my perch at Northlands Coliseum way back, then and CTV was was televising some of the games, and and uh, the Finnish names um, can be tricky. You don't want to pronounce them as you see them because the emphasis is on a syllable that perhaps is two or three syllables in. And I can recall a noted uh, a CTV sports personality, who's long since retired, uh, doing the uh, play-by-play of the game. And I'd bet anyone 20 bucks he didn't go uh, and ask how do you pronounce the names because they were coming from left field, center field, and right field anywhere but how the names were pronounced. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Uh, It was kind of a learning experience that you don't want to be making the mistakes that somebody else has made, so it's best you do your homework before the game. And I survived through the 81 Canada Cup, and 35 years later, I'm stepping down. I'm retiring because I've I've told my wife, well, it's it's time that we we get away in the winter time. Because who really likes uh, you know all cross country ski? But 
you know, a five-month winter, you get tired of the of the cold and the ice and yeah. the snow and and sometimes the poor driving conditions. And you know, who doesn't like warm, sunny weather and 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 a pretty good plus, uh, you know, twenty or twenty-five degree <laughs> day. So. You know, we're going to do it now while we're healthy. We're, we're still very active, and, and uh, we have the opportunity to get away for three or four months a year, and that's what we're doing. I'm glad you brought up the, the 1981 Canada Cup because in terms of the history of Rexall Place, that would have been a big deal for Edmonton, for the Coliseum as it was at the time, to, to get to host some games. I mean, Edmonton was still a relatively new NHL city. Um, they, they obviously had some good players, but hadn't accomplished nearly what they were going to go on to accomplish. And, and I believe in 81, it was only Ottawa, Winnipeg, Montreal, and Edmonton that got to host games. So that was a pretty big deal for Edmonton to be on that list. It was huge. Um, I think it was the first time that, that uh, Edmonton, the spotlight was shone on Edmonton. It was an international spotlight. And... Uh, you know, the city responded very well. Uh, most of the games were very well attended. Some games weren't uh, because of two lesser European countries, and I only mean that in the sense that they weren't hockey powers. Uh, there might be 7,500, 8,000, 9,000 people, but when you had Team USA against the Soviet Union or Canada against Czechoslovakia, uh, I mean, every seat in that building was full, and, and look at the Oilers now. Uh, you know, it's sold right out. And going into uh, Rogers' place, that'll continue because, you know, the demand for hockey, and we're seeing the best hockey players in the world come into Edmonton, the demand for a ticket to watch excellence. And now that the Oilers have Connor McDavid, boy, oh boy, this is a, a ticket may be a hard thing to get in the future. Mark Lewis joining us inside Sports on 6.30. Chad, longtime public address announcer at uh, Rexall Place, of course, uh, two weeks away from the final game there for, uh, for the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, the, the building opened in 74. What, I mean, how can, can you even put into words how the, I mean, you look at the building from the outside and that's been the building. That's how it's looked. It's changed, changed names. But in terms of, the changes in the building. I mean, what have what have you seen? Is there does it does it just look and feel totally different than it did 30, 35 years ago? Well, you know, the building, uh, looking at it from the outside, is is identical to what it was when I first started watching hockey in that building back in the WHA in nineteen seventy six. Uh, you know, some of the the inside has been remodeled a couple of times with uh, suites, sky suites. First went in the the upper the very uppermost suites, and then and then suites uh, uh, on the main concourse. Uh, but there's not a whole lot, you know, you can, and of course the basement where the, where the, the Air Canada Club is just outside the, uh, the Oda's dressing room. A lot of it has been cosmetic, uh, but, but I can, you know, it's, and I'm not a building architect uh, uh, or, or a designer, a building designer, but I think I think the revenue opportunities will always have to increase for a team that's, you know, faced with paying $70 million in player salaries uh, and, and, you know, the next hockey season, uh, it may go to 74 if the NHLPA vote to increase it, or it may be maintained at whatever it is now, 70 or $71 million. I mean, that's right out of the gate. That's something that, bang, those are those expenses. 
And then you, I, I don't know what other expenses you incur in terms of, you know, staffing an office um, and conducting the normal operation of business, but it's very expensive. Canadian dollar being where it is now relative to the U.S. dollar, uh, all salaries are in American dollars. The per diem that, that, uh, and the expenses you incur on the road are all American dollar covered expenses. Very expensive. So, I mean, I can understand when, when, when some costs increase, it's just the cost of doing business. And I understand that. And that's just the way it is. And I think not, not jumping all over Rexall Place, but I think the revenue opportunities uh, for the most part, have been explored by the hockey club, and they've gone as far as they can go with it. And to uh, to to be competitive with respect to the American dollar, and to be able to afford to pay a player ten million dollars a year, uh, you need you need further further and and more revenue streams. Yeah, Mark, uh, a couple more for you. And I almost hate to throw this at you because you were, you've been there since 81 and you've seen the Cups and other good playoff experiences and, and all those kinds of great things. Is there something, a, a memory that stands out that maybe isn't related to, okay, that was the night they won a Stanley Cup? You know, you know what I mean? Some other little moment or special thing? One night, um, for many years, probably... 17 or 18 of the years, I used to have to go down to the visitor's dressing room and get the lineup from uh, the coach. And I remember one time, uh, and, and one of the NHL off-ice people would accompany me. So I would get it for my purposes because I had to announce the starting lineup. And once I got the visiting team's lineup, I'd go to the orders room. But I remember one night Toronto Maple Leafs were in. Pat Burns was the head coach. The late Pat Burns, the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and Harold Ballard and King Clancy were standing. They were on the lower concourse, uh, the area where fans do not get to go, and they're standing outside the hallway leading into the Maple Leafs dressing room. And I said, is uh, Pat down this way? And I am the question that either King or Ballard, you mean that French guy we've got coaching the team? And I said, yeah, yeah, he's down there. And I thought, wow, that was that was kind of different. Then I went into uh, the room where Pat Burns was was with his coaches, and, and you know the Leafs had been on a horrendous, like a six or a seven game losing streak, so it it, it wasn't happy time. And I went into Pat and I said, "Have you got the starting lineup?" And he said, uh, "Yeah." And I said, uh, "Who you got starting in goal?" And he he uh, Felix Potvin was one of the goaltenders, and uh, I forget who the other one was, but the other one was the number two goalie. And he said, I'm starting my number two guy. And the NHL guy said, what? You're not starting Potvin? And Burns looked at him and got really angry. And he says, you can coach this blank-to-blank blank team if you want, telling me who I should start. And, and as, I mean, I always asked who was starting, who's the backup, and I would never comment on it because that's, that's not what my job was. Then I'd go into the orders room. There'd be Glenn Sather and John Muckler and Ted Green. And they always expected some sort of a joke from me. And this one night, I guess Sather had said to Muckler and Green, before I showed up, he said, when he comes in, don't look at him. Don't talk to him, meaning me. Uh, and Teddy Green was the first one to break. You could see him starting to smile, and he was chuckling. And he said, uh, finally said, have you got one? And Sather looked over at him and said, I thought we weren't going to do that. We weren't going to have Lewis tell a little joke tonight. 
So there's lots of those little stories that, you know, the fans would never hear. And there's lots of stories that, you know, it would, it, you could sit here all night long. I remember one time, and it was in the 80s, and Kevin Lowe was um, a terrific defenseman. Uh, didn't score a lot of goals, and we were at about game 70 in the season. And uh, the media had picked up on it. Uh, well, when is Kevin going to score a goal? It'll be his first of the season. Well, that night, Kevin scored. So I turned the system, you know, the, the microphone on, and I said, the Oilers' goal, his first of the season, finally scored by number four, and I went and completed the announcement. <laughs> and I had heard that Messier was really upset and as a matter of fact, Kevin Lowe and I talked about this about a week ago. And I said, were you ticked off? And he said, no, but Mess sure was. And uh, he says, lucky Mess didn't go looking for you. And I said, Kevin, you know, I, I, I think Mess realized, you know, that we were joking. It, it was a funny thing to do. Should a guy have done it? Probably not. But, you know. That you were like, rolling with it. Oh, yeah. Showing course. some personality. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, one, one more for you. Mark Lewis joining us on Inside Sports, the longtime public address announcer at Rexall Place. Been there since 1981. Um, someone is going to replace you in the new building next year. Give me a, give me a couple I've been asked. sentences of advice for that person. <laughs> I, you know what? The, the, uh, the thing I think the orders want their public address announcer or announcers to do is come in, go to your position, do your job, don't ask for an autograph, don't ask for autograph sticks, stay out of the dressing room because they don't want you in the dressing room. The players don't want you in the dressing room. You're paid to be the public address announcer. Uh, that's what you should be doing, is public address announcing. And uh, be, be prepared to do your job. They, they've hired you because you're a professional. Uh, come in, be in good shape, do your job, and then go home. And who knows? Uh, um, I'll be at Roger's place uh, watching hockey games. Um, have you heard the last of me? Probably, but until I leave the country and go on some extended holidays, you never know. Mark, you, you did a great job. I know a few games left, but but uh, it's it's been an honor listening to you call thanks, the Reed. goals, assists, and penalties and all the other stuff over the years, and thanks for making time for us on Inside Sports. You know, I want to thank folks that uh, had responded on Twitter and, and other ways of saying, Mark, we appreciate what you've done. We've enjoyed what you've done over the years. And to those folks, I want to say a great big thanks. It means a lot, and, and to you having me in this evening, uh, you know, chatting about... Uh, Bruxall Place, Oilers Hockey. Thanks, Reed. Well, thank you for coming in, Mark. Mark Lewis, and that is our Action Furnace Oilers Report, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. Coming up on 8.52. Back for some final thoughts inside sports on Chad. Of course, Inside Sports is presented by AMA. Be listening tomorrow for your Alberta Motor Association's Oilers Hockey AMA Safety and Savings for your family. I'll have an abbreviated edition of Inside Sports from 6 to 7. Hockey coverage begins at 7 with the face-off show for the Oilers and the Sharks. They'll drop the puck at 8.30. Thanks for listening tonight. You heard from Mark Lewis, Luke Bertolucci, Rod Proudfoot, Kelly Rudy, Bob Stoffer, and Bob Ridley. The studio producer this evening, Matthew Panashik. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. 
My name is Reed Wilkins. Always a pleasure to bring you Inside Sports on 630 Chet.